Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Show. We're back a week early and like every football fan, we cannot wait to see what this season throws up for us. Now we'll discuss Cristiano Ronaldo, shouldn't United sell him or shouldn't Ronaldo honour his contract? Also, many feel it's going to be a two-horse race again between Manchester City and Liverpool. Can anyone else challenge this year? England's women's team, we'll have to discuss them because they are in the papers for every reason that's gone we'll be discussing on the pitch as well and if you are a Leicester City fan how worried are you that you are the only club in the Premier League without a signing okay my name's Roy Shanahan and I'm joined by David Buggle Neil Dobbs from thebigkickoff.com and Dave Manchester United seem to like a saga and the Ronaldo saga seems to be going on forever yeah he left early yesterday after uh, after starting the friendly against Rayo Vallecano so Ten Hag's uh, hand has been forced, in my opinion. He can't be in the squad next week. He's only back from pre. Uh, he's only back. I don't even think he can class him starting pre-season. Um, he can't be in the squad for next week, and he's obviously potentially forcing his hand um, even further by leaving early. I see, and you're saying it's another problem. So long may it continue uh, for people to to get the tongues wagging, but the the, the writing's on the wall by the, by the looks of it, and it's inevitable that he's probably going to go. Neil, what's your thoughts on Ronaldo? Should United have got in a replacement already by now? Uh, yeah, short answer, yes, very much so. I mean, look, I think he's made up his mind regardless of not uh, whether or not he ends up somewhere or somewhere takes a gamble on him or somewhere wants him and wants to change their team around to accommodate him. Um, he's the biggest, or if not one of, if not the biggest kind of personalities out there as far as football goes. He's the type of guy that go into your dressing room and you get the impression He'll dominate the dressing room. Um, he's made it up his mind he's going, and I don't understand why they're dragging it out this much now. He should have been allowed near that friendly yesterday. He didn't train. He didn't travel. He should be gone. Push him to one side. It's a nightmare scenario for Ten Hag, for any manager, but a new manager coming in with the expectation, wanting a guy like Ronaldo up front to lead his line, to lead his dressing room, and for this kind of treatment on him, I think it's shoddy. I think it's reflecting badly on Ronaldo and the only reason why you put up with it is because of the person that he is. But um, in my opinion, he's getting too much leeway and uh, he should be brought back down to earth. And if I was Ten Hag, I don't think he's going to have a choice. As Dave said, he's forced, his, his hand is being forced now and he's going to have to do something to kind of gain the respect again, you know, in order that he doesn't start off on the wrong foot. You don't really, Neil, you don't really want Ronaldo turning out at a full Manchester United Old Trafford game and he's sulking and that's going to divide fans that's going to divide the team and it's really just not going to do anything for the team for the start of this year especially for the manager who needs to get off on well a really good start and Liverpool is the third game Yeah well if you look at it he got away with it a lot last year you know he was he was going running down the tunnel when he was sulked off he was getting out of there as quick as he could. So I don't, he's acting kind of that spoiled child scenario. And again, we only put up with it because the following week then he comes out and he scores a bloody hat-trick or something and it's all forgiven. But there's an element of petulance beginning to creep in here. And to be honest with you, it wouldn't be tolerated at any other top club. Like you think Mo Salah is Liverpool's number one man. There's no way in hell he would be tolerated to do that. If you look at, say, De Bruyne, who's City's number one man, you would not tolerate that. I don't understand why Ronaldo's being allowed to do this. And it's just become almost untenable now. And it's a horrible, horrible situation. 
um, for Ten Hag to be in. And I'd say he, he can't wait to see the end of this and that he's either A, gone, or confirmed, right, he's staying. But Jesus, it can't come quick enough for him. Yeah. They... I'd be, um, sorry, Roy, I'd be, just to create quickly, I'd be a little bit nervous about it because at the end of the day, the most important sign for United this year is Ten Hag because they need a true leader that can run that, uh, run that team because there's been so many splits and crap that's been going on for years and leaks and this, that and the other. And a lot of the dead would have seemed to have gone. And then obviously Ronaldo has kicked up a bit of a fuss. And if he's in, in the squad in any way, shape or form next week, it's, it's almost making a mockery of the manager before he even starts. And players are ruling the roofs again. That's the fear. So um, he's going to have to show a bit of steel that obviously there's been hints of it. And he's going to have to be strong. And, and this is going to be interesting to see about the relationship with him and the board. Will they back him? Because at the end of the day, he, Ronaldo is a massive financial um, plus for United at the moment. Not necessarily on the pitch at the minute, but definitely a financial plus uh, regardless. So they're very much torn between two lovers, I suppose, with the board. But it'll be interesting to see will they eventually buckle and back the manager. And if they do, I think that could be the, arguably the biggest move this year for United because if he's still skulking around and potentially creating a wedge again, like there's another manager potentially undermined before it even takes off. Yeah. Dave, when I look at it, I'm saying... Not only the the manager who has not decided what he's going to do, he hopes that Ronaldo stays there. He should probably put his foot down now and and make that decision himself. But is it because the fan base are undecided themselves? They're in hope that they want Ronaldo to play, but they also understand that he wants to leave as well. And it's kind of, they're a little bit heartbroken at this. There needs to be a clean break and, and the manager should be the one to do it, shouldn't he? I think it needs to be a ruthless decision regardless. One or the other, whatever the decision is, make the decision now at the end of the day. Whereas it's uh, Sunday afternoon, they're playing Brighton. End of story. Everyone needs to know before the week starts, this is where we're going. He's either in or he's out. It's as simple as that. Obviously, if he wants to go, good luck, see it. No matter who they are, no matter what type of person uh, or what type of player they are, he's one of the greatest of all time. End of story. No debate. But if he doesn't want to be here, Ten Hag needs to go, Grant, I need people who are committed to this club and commit to me because like I said, regardless of whether he's going to be a good enough manager footballers, he you need a leader and you need somebody who's going to rule that team properly and get them all kind of rolling in the same direction because if this creates another split, he's, he's done for before it even starts. Okay, Neil, that's not the only saga that's going on. Frankie de Jong is another saga, which he's not at Manchester United, but if you were to listen to the papers for the last month or so, he's almost there and it's really not happening, is it? Yeah, it's a strange with this, Roy. And just even following on from the Ronaldo thing, if United were to land Frankie de Jong tomorrow, big summer signing, lots of money, a new player, new midfielder, kind of a leader for your midfielder, definitely at least a player that everything will go through. You could almost then say, right, Ronaldo, go on, fling your hook and we've got a new star coming in. But again, this thing is just dragging on. And it's so remnant of the uh, the Jaden Sancho saga that went on last year and the year before where... You know, everyone knows their target. Everyone knows what they want. There's different views coming out all the time that the young doesn't want to leave. Then you've got the money situation. Can Barcelona afford not for him to leave? I don't understand in the way that the world works. It's clear that Barcelona kind of need rid of him. They definitely need rid of his back wages. And United should be in any other club in the world in pole position 
to go in there, knowing the Barcelona are stuck between a rock and a hard place, you'd nearly think to go in there and pinch them for a little bit less than what you're expecting. And instead, they're being held over this barrel somehow. This ridiculous Barcelona scenario where Barcelona are desperate for money, but they're still going, ah, we don't know if we're going to let them go. By the way, can we throw on 17 million of wages on top of this? And maybe that'll push it over the line. So it's a strange scenario that you would think Barcelona are in a lesser position and Man United are in a great position because they've got the money. But that just doesn't seem to be the way it's turning out. And as all that's happening is it's dragging it again towards next week where you're getting near the start of the Premier League and he's the guy you want in your team because he's going to be, if they get him, Man United's best signing. Dave, Barcelona have gone from frozen transfer activities to Europe's biggest spenders. They today or over the weekend have sold 25% of the Barca studios to boost their finances. This is kind of their plan C that we're talking about. They've sold part of its production, about 100 million euros they have gained uh, to, a, I think it's Barca Studios, Socos.com. They're getting this money just see to make sure that they're able to fulfil the financial requirements and sign the players that have been acquired recently like Lewandowski, Rafinha etc. So will De Jong need to still be pushed out? Is it so significant? Will Is this a game of chess between Manchester United and Barcelona? Yeah because it's interesting it must be Pierre Ridsdale and the lead board that are in the background doing what's going on at Barcelona here and we all know what happened there it's, it's a very much a house of cards but to be honest, there's rumours of Chelsea today now obviously getting in on the mix because if it goes on long enough, one of the other bigger sharks might come in and go, ah, sure, we'll take him, we Champions League football because that seems to be one of the biggest stumbling blocks with Young. He ultimately, I don't think, wants to go. Um, obviously, United are desperate and he's a town hard type player. Barcelona know they could probably get their top money from United and that's why they're probably holding out as much as they can. But now, if they keep doing what they're doing and mortgaging upon mortgage, who knows what, what's going to happen? But it's a it's a dodgy situation. Just briefly, that's because it's a funny story before the before we came on air. Bordeaux been relegated to third tier for financial irregularity, and they're still owed nearly ten million euro from Barcelona from Malcolm. Do you remember him? No, I doubt if you do. But uh, yeah, they still owe ten million from 2017, 2018, and they still owe Liverpool nearly thirty million euros well for Coutinho, and he's long gone. And uh, Dembele, Vidal. It's it's unbelievable. So whatever the money they're getting to pay off transfers, they still need a hell of a lot of debt to be bought as well. So mark my words, the young and a few others need to go because the Liverpools and uh, Bordeaux and Dortmunds and Munich will still be like, screw you guys, we want our money. You're not getting away with this for nothing. Yeah, Neil, we'll just finish off with Manchester United. How do you think they <laughs> fared in the transfer window? They have uh, Martinez, Eriksen, Malassia, that's three signings they've got in. All seem decent players. Is it what they needed? Um, well, let's be honest. I think they're in a healthier position than they were. They've let go a little bit of the deadwood, Roy. You know, you've let go of Pogba. Matic is gone. Lingard is gone. Cavani, not saying he was deadwood, but, you know, he's moved on now and they're moving on. I think Martinez could be a good sign in the centre-back. I like the look of him. Um, he could be a leader. They pay good money for him. Uh, Malassia, this fullback looks decent. He's very promising. You know, I t- again, I think a manager that wants to play better football, especially playing out from the back, he wants a more comfortable fullback. And we would have said a long time mm-hmm. ago that, you know, you know, you do need an upgrade on the fullback. So that's at least one done. 
Uh, Christian Eriksen for me is the interesting one because last year you've seen him towards the end of the season playing this kind of just free-flowing, fearless football. It'll be interesting how he takes that short and can he, will he be a bit part player or will he be a big player? And maybe that depends on whether they get the young. Um, but at the end of the day, Roy, let's be honest, it all comes down to how the manager sets them up, how they meld together mm. as a group and how they kind of perform when the, when the going gets tough. I always think Man United would be good enough you know, up as far as the top six, as in they're good enough to put teams away, they have enough talent in the side. The question is now this year, with the new manager, have they got, you know, the next great manager coming in that's gone, that can meld the group together mentally, put them through the tough times, you know, the, the, the November, December time frame, and can he get more out of that team than the sum of its parts, if you know what I mean. I'd love to. See, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see how he gets on with that. But I think that's the difference for United now. They need to galvanise and move on, get away from this flakiness from last season, and put a bit of metal, a bit of steel out there onto the pitch. So that's the unanswered question. But I think they're in a far better place where at the end of last season, um, purely because they've gotten rid of who they needed to get rid of, and now they can rebuild. Yeah, absolutely. We'll move on because the UEFA Women's Euro final was on yesterday in a jam-packed Wembley, a new record over 87,000. And England, for the first time, went on and won the major championship, beat eight-time winners Germany, Ella Thun and Chloe Kelly. And Dave, it's going to be an iconic picture for years to come. You've seen plenty with, with the men and this one with the women. Uh, Chloe with her the sports bra and the, and the top uh, over her head swinging <laughs> it around it's, it's a real it reminded me a little bit about like Ryan Giggs and and his hairy top I suppose <laughs> do you remember that when it gets Arsenal <laughs> he, he, took, he took his top off he's like I can never get that from me <laughs> uh, but this is going to be an iconic picture and it is going to set up a lot of girls who haven't played football before or haven't thought of playing football before a bit like when when we were talking about Ireland under Big Jack uh, Big Jack Big Jack yeah. uh, it's going to inspire a lot of girls to play football now isn't it? It's a simple fact yeah, exactly and that's where the, the, our rule of thumb would be from the, the, the emergence of soccer as it is over here sometimes depending on where you are in the country you know, once, once, like success brings that. And it's the same with rugby over the last 15, 20 years, the emergence of, of the participation in that as well. Look, it's been massive. And um, apart from the very, very first game where they were a bit nervous and all traveled, um, because they were free scoring in the friendlies beforehand. And as I said, a little bit uh, nervy against Austria. And then the free scoring came back again and they've been in fantastic form and a great bunch, uh, funny bunch, plenty of, uh, um, bit like, Gareth Southgate and the, and the men's lads have been brilliant in front of the camera with the with the various reporters and stuff like that and doing stuff with Sky and just seem to be very relaxed and easy going and um, don't seem to be in in like have this fear factor that you've seen English teams have before both in the men and and women's game over the over the years in when it comes to big tournaments and uh, been phenomenal for the last year or two and thoroughly deserved and. Uh, like Ian Wright said it there famously at the at the semi final, you know, like the fact that some girls don't even still get to play um, uh, football at PE in England is it, it's it's criminal when you think about it. Considering what they're, they're now the best in Europe and have a chance to go on and be bigger and better now with the World Cup coming up in the next year or two. So yeah, it's a massive plus for them, and uh, the investment needs to be spread out a little bit better now across uh, across the grassroots for, for for all and not just for a select few and definitely. 
more input into the, into the girls slash women side of the thing and the home homegrown football. And many, uh, like we, we all used to grab the ball and go out to the backyard and pretend to be Ray Houghton, like people are going to be doing the same now and want to be Ellen White and Lucy Brands and whoever else and long may continue. Yeah, Neil, that's the the fact that I wanted to talk about because, as I said, we want to talk about this game, but it's not just about the game and England winning and going on and in the tournament like it would be with the with the men. It's about, as Dave said there, those rights of not being allowed to play football in school. Like they, They'll have the boys' team go out and play football. There won't be a girls' team. And I'm amazed at this day and age that that's still going on. I think it's, it's actually wrong. And parents need to stand up now and... It should have been done ages ago. I can't believe it. Now, I, I, I have a little girl now myself and there's no way I'd be standing for girls not being able to play football. And I think sometimes if you're not in that window, you, you don't really see it. So for you, I know you have a, a girl playing Amy. How, how, how does she see football? How does she view it uh, in school? Is she allowed to play? Um, I, I'm baffled that they can't uh, play football at, at certain levels yeah I, I, well you've hit the nail on the head there so I guess I won't say my attitude has changed but I'm definitely more invested in the female side of the game now than I was obviously previous to Amy coming along and wanting to get involved in football now she's I coached her for four or five years and she's since moved on to another club now and she still plays and she plays at an elite level now what I will say is if you go back Roy seven years eight years when I originally got there pre-starting with her team they're definitely kind of second-class citizens. And maybe in a lot of clubs around the country, this is Ireland even, but mind England, you know, they, they weren't taught in the same bracket. They weren't coached the same. They weren't looked after the same. What I will say, in the last three to four years in particular, the standard has gone up. The investment has gotten better. There's a better awareness. From her perspective, to watch that game yesterday and say, look at that crowd there. What was it? 70-odd thousand. Unbloody believable. It's brilliant to see a packed house it's brilliant to see recognition. It was all over the TV. You know, and, you know, we might look at the England men's team and go, oh, God, don't let them win a tournament. But I don't think anyone really begrudged that yesterday. They were the best team there and they won what they needed. They did what they needed to do. They played good football and the standard of football is more pleasing on the eye. You know, it's getting better and better. And I guarantee you, all, I'd say all of them girls on that team yesterday that played for England, the whole panel, when they started playing, because they're all going to be in their 20s. You know, 15 years ago, I'd say they cannot believe the turnaround in the attitude, the turnaround in the standard, the coach and the quality and how far that female football has come on. And I've seen it and it's great to see my daughter is heavily involved and for her, you know, even watching that, it's just something to aspire to because you, you would have never think they'd sell 70 odd thousand for a match. For, for a female, regardless of quarterfinal, semi-final, final, you just wouldn't have seen it or you wouldn't have taught it. And it's a great thing and hopefully it rubs off on us as well and just brings that game forward a little bit more. Yeah, over just over 87,000 now, which is nearly full capacity there, which is absolutely brilliant. And that doubles the record attendance for a women's final. So it's absolutely brilliant. I think you're right. I think it will rub off on girls over here in Ireland. And it just gives them, there is more of a pathway now. There's more of a focus and people, parents, I suppose, are getting to look now and they can see, okay, she really wants to go on and do this. She can. This is how far she can go. So it, it was brilliant. And I was delighted for England to win it because obviously you want to see someone new win it. Um, and listen, great goals. Ella Toon, unbelievable 
chip over the goalkeeper. I didn't think she was running through on goal. You, you never know if they're going to slide it by them, if the keeper is going to, you know, block it. But unbelievable finish, a little chip over the keeper. And then, of course, Chloe Kelly got two bites at the cherry, one swipe. And I think they actually put the goalkeeper off and the goalkeeper kind of half dived. And then she, she swung at the second one and, and I think it was through her legs. But yeah, an iconic, an iconic celebration. Uh, the old helicopter and uh, listen it's you nearly wanted to be out there yourself it, it's just such a, a proud moment for all those all those girls and I think it, the most important part was was that they didn't just feel it was for them and you could, that was shown by everyone that was in commentary boxes ex-players they they f- all felt that this was one thing that everyone was working towards for 15 20 years and that all those players I think even one of the players, gave their medal to one of the, 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 the older players from 10 years ago. So it was a real feel-good factor. And to tell you the truth, the whole tournament was a feel-good factor. It was a great, great watch. OK, we're at the weekend. Liverpool claimed the Community Shield. The King Power Stadium was this year's host and it was full of blue and red. In what no one, I suppose, was expecting to see as a friendly, because these two, Dave, when they play each other, it's all in. Ah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And sure, look at the look at the two teams that started. Simple as that. And um, once the whistle was blown, no matter what, uh, where they are in the in the preseason factor, like to be honest, regardless of the fact that it was Liverpool City, I think lads, if you look in the last five to ten years, like most of the Cherry Shield games do kick off quite quickly early in the game and they become a little bit more tense than they do because it usually is the two rivals who are going to go up against each other and. It's just a bit of a one-upmanship. Man City will gladly go about the, the rest of their week now before the first game and, and get on with their life. But they'll still, just a little sting, it's just a little bloody of the nose, you know. But either side would have loved to have just got a little, uh, the, the, the extra jab in. And that's all it really is. Now, to be honest, if, if you just look at the game, Liverpool just look a little bit sharper. They look like they're a week ahead more so than Man City. And that's it at the moment. I wouldn't be uh, jumping through hoops saying that's a massive marker. Um, I think City were one of the last to come into it this year uh, back into pre-season so um, I'd be just a tiny little bit worried that you might be a little bit of a slower start than usual especially if if we are going to be in the 90 points range again and um, you can't really drop too much points so with a bit of luck City put in a, a good week's walk this week and get a body of walk into the fitness levels because just Liverpool just looked like they had a bit of the edge but City still looked um, as good as they can be in the ball but yeah as regards if I'd been a Liverpool fan, would I get excited? Not just yet, but it's just a nice little, just a nice little booster before the season starts to maybe just kick them on and hopefully uh, punish punish Fulham and really, uh, excuse me, start on the right foot because it's a great chance to maybe try and get a small advantage before 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 the real uh, the, the, the 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 real um, what would you call it like before the like a little just a little head start for the Americans, if you know what I mean? Yep. Before we go to Neil, Dave. Nunes versus Holland. Yeah. Neil wrote an article about <laughs> it. I want to know what was your thoughts on first of all when the both players were signed, and now that you've seen a little bit of both of them, maybe of course yeah. that game's only one game, but w- what way they fit into their yeah. their team? What have you made of it? Yeah, look, this has got legs. There's no denying it. Um, there's going to be like obviously Liverpool and City are the two big rivals at the moment, and they're the two strikers who. Kind of a bit similar. They're kind of power forwards, in my opinion. Like I, I'm not going to pretend I knew I knew them in any great detail beforehand. I remember asking you off air 
after the Champions League game, what did you think of him? Because I thought he did okay in Anfield, but the feeling I got from him was he's a Premier League player, but I wasn't, I didn't have Liverpool in mind. I had a funny feeling like a team in Newcastle just because obviously they're going to be buying. So the fact that it was Liverpool, you're like, yeah, that's a pleasant surprise. Uh, he obviously got a first, uh, a fair bit of stick pre season with some of his heavy touches and of course Haaland as well. Listen, for me, watching a bit of Nunes, it just looked like he was trying a bit too hard in a couple of the pre-seasons and it's just relaxed. You know, you're at Liverpool, you're going to get a shitload of chances. Don't worry. If you're worth half of this fee, you'll, you'll get plenty of gold. And Haaland's the same. So there's a bit, there's a bit of pressure on both of them. And of course, the, the pressure, once they get a whiff of this, they're going to just kind of keep grinding the, the, the wheel on this and try and create a rivalry. And it's one nil to Nunes and that's the way they're going to look at it. But at the same time, it just had to be inevitable that Haaland missed the sitter. So, of course, he's going to get the stick this week and it could be Nunes the next week, you know, and that's the way it's going to go. So it's just a nice little potential side piece for the for the, for the the show that is the Premier League and the showdown between the two of them. But, you know, the interesting thing for me, for both of them, is the dynamics of the, of the teams for both Liverpool and, and Man City. Are they going to change slightly? Certainly more so Man City. Are they going to change a little bit more slightly because there's going to be a, a, a central focal point in Haaland? Well, last year, as much as we had a bit of a concern about no striker, it was very much spread around and it seemed like they made the right pass at the right time. Well, now this year, are they going to be looking more to him at times when they shouldn't be, if you know what I mean? A little bit like United last year trying to force passes into Ronaldo that weren't there instead of doing the right thing. It'll just be interesting how long it will take for the dynamic of City to kick because I, I won't be surprised. It will kick. It could be next week, who knows? But I'll just be interested. Will it be a little bit of a, a stuttery start before they really get into it? into top gear and a little bit similar with Liverpool although it doesn't look like that much is going to change with Liverpool it's just obviously Nunes is a slightly different player but if he just relaxes by the time he's going to get plenty of chances he'll get a 15-20 goal he just needs to get a share like Liverpool don't need somebody who's going to get 30 goals they just need somebody to pick up the tab and, and get 10-15 to 15 goals because like your job is Diaz is Salah obviously Salah will get up there so it'll just be interesting to see the Atlantic in two sides will it change that much. Yeah. Will Liverpool get yeah. a little bit more direct from time to time with this fella? But uh, it's more City I'll be intrigued with. Well, I, I, for me, I think that it might actually do great stuff for Mo Salah because it might take the pressure and the focus off <clears> Mo Salah because th- there's going to be this Nunes yeah. versus Haaland focus point and Salah might just be able to get on with his business now and, and not have to take that pressure, especially yeah. with Mane. There's no contract. Yeah, there's especially no. with Mane gone, there was going to be probably that pressure on him. But yeah. now there's someone else there who's a focus, which is a great thing. Neil, one player who may have to worry though is Jack Grealish. Uh, he's a he's an average player every time he seems to play. He doesn't seem to dribble by anyone. He seems to make passes that go backwards rather than even assist anything. I can't even remember assists. I'm trying to think off the top of my head right now how many assists he's got in. He's not really doing much at, for a hundred million, is he? Yeah, do you know what it is, Roy? We're, we're just talking about you know the price tag of Nunes and Haaland and the expectation on them, and you know it, it takes a big personality to go into a club like Liverpool or Man City and really grab that position and you know show the calmness and coolness, and especially at a young age. And them two lads are very, very young. And Grealish t- seems to me now like Grealish is a year on now. There's a hundred million price tag over his head. We don't sometimes weigh it correctly because it's Manchester City and people kind of go, ah, but sure, it's, you know, the hundred million to them is nothing. But it's not nothing. It's an absolute phenomenal amount of money. And for a hundred million 
to to get the return back what you've got out of him. I think it's it, it's it's going badly wrong at the moment, and I, you know he's still young. I'm not saying he can't turn it around. But for me, you looked at him in the game yesterday. He's coming up against Trent Alexander. And you think to yourself, if there's one fullback you want Grealish running at, it's probably not Robertson, it's probably Trent. He's playing on his proper wing, left side. Go at him. The amount of times he ran down into the corner, checked back out, and played the safe pass. The amount of times he ran at the center half and played the safe pass. He's gotten into this mode. He's not Bernardo Silva. He's, he's Jack Grealish. He was brought in as a player that would strike fear into you an attacking winger, take a player on, carry the ball. Fair enough, he got fouled a lot, but he took a lot of players on. Now, I gave him great accolades uh, when he played with Villa because I thought he led that team. I thought he embraced the captain role. He felt responsible for scoring and creating goals, and he did that. I think he put his neck on the line and he took players on and he set up goals and he took hits. And now he's gone to City, he's gone to a bigger pond, he turns out he's drowning. He's absolutely drowning. Now, whether that's Pep Guardiola not allowing him to be himself, whether his instruction is don't risk the ball by taking on a guy 1v1, I don't really know what it is. Is All I know is that a year on, and I haven't seen anything from Grealish to justify 50 million, don't mind 100, and I think he's really, really struggling. And judging from the charity shield, I, I don't see it changing. I just don't see it. And he just seems, he's not getting a free pass, but it's just passing him by at the moment. And it's an interesting one to watch this year because they've gotten rid of Sterling, so there's less competition on the left side for him. The question is, does he have the balls to grab that position and make it his? Yeah, when I seen Jack Grealish last year, we were over and we watched him at City against Wofford. And he didn't, didn't show me anything different live that I seen on the television, he gets the ball, he pretends he's going to dribble it, he turns back and passes the ball back. And that's what he's been doing. I thought at start when he was doing that, I said, right, he's just trying to play safe, get a feel for this team, not make too many mistakes. But he's stuck in that and he hasn't he hasn't deviated from that at all. He hasn't he hasn't drove at people into the penalty box and got penalties or got crosses in. If if he doesn't do that soon, he's going to well, he'll be back at Villa. That's I think that's plain and simple. Yeah. That's where he's going to end up back. Okay, another player. Sorry, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, sorry. sorry, I was just going to add to that. There, I was talking to a, a Chelsea supporter uh, yesterday in work, and we were talking Jack Grealish, and just I thought it was an interesting comparison that he made. Remember, Damien Duff joined Chelsea or the Ranieri, and he used to take guys on. He took on the fullbacks time and time again. He was electric. And Mourinho came in and all of a sudden Duff never took a player on for the rest of his tenure. But Duff said in an interview, Mourinho got hold of him and told him, in the final 18 yards, take on a player. In the first 70 yards, do not risk that ball. That was an obvious manager's decision or manager's influence on a player to tell him not to do something. I don't know whether it's a Guardiola factor or a Grealish factor. Who's the bigger personality? How much rope has he got to express himself on the field? But we're going to find out this year whether or not he has it or whether he's going to be a 100 million flop. Yep, that's going to be, we will tell. By the end of this season, we'll know exactly what's going on. Because you will see if, if it's a manager's decision, you'll see the player getting frustrated. Very, very simple. I don't think you can just take that out of him. Although, if you don't do what Pep says, you won't be playing. So that's as simple as that. Now, Leicester City fans will be getting very worried this year because they're the only club in the Premier League who haven't 
made a signing. And Newcastle are really pushing to sign James Madison after making a second bid worth 50 million to sign him. They're still awaiting a response from Leicester, which the first one was rejected for 40 million. Brendan Rodgers made it clear he's not selling the player. He doesn't want to sell the player and said that 40 million might just cover three quarters of his leg. I'm not so sure about that because, again, I think Madison has been left out of England squads behind other players. I'm not sure he is worth any more than 50 million. Dave, first of all, your thoughts on Leicester, William Fofana. There's a couple of players there that are, are people are trying to get and Leicester don't seem to be not even rumoured with a player. Yeah, well, Rogers has come out with a bit more now and he has been quoted as saying today that he's been made aware that towards the end of the season that the club would have to balance books and then, of course, it became more difficult. The club will not look to spend money they don't have and that is where the club is stable and they will always be very sensible. So, in other words, we've spent a fair bit over the last couple of years. We haven't quite hit the heights. If they had a snuck into the Champions League but once or twice when they nearly did, they might still be in a healthier position to maybe throw a bit of cash around this year. So they're taking the sensible route. So for me, I kind of have to sit me half of them when we're slagging off our ch- uh, the Barcelona of this world. This is the real, real reality. Like Leicester could kind of double down and, and, and bring in a few extra players and, 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 and pay it, city wages. Unfortunately, it just looks like, yeah, the old Champions League scenarios for the, for the two season runnings. That, that's why, unfortunately, they, they haven't got the money now and they're kind of being sensible. And I'm not saying they're going to sell, but they'll probably want to try and what we have, we hold as best as possible. But the Sharks are going to be all over them now, trying to dangle this money around and might entice the, the club to, to make the sales. As you said, Fafana, rumoured for Chelsea and Sanjaman, even Tielemans has been rumoured a lot. So unfortunately, it's a, it's a balance of the books uh, season and it's very much what they have, they hold. A big problem, um, a big problem with so that though, Dave, is I think that 13 players in that squad, not saying the main players, but 13 yeah. players, including Vardy, Tielemans and Schmeichel yeah. obviously who I don't know if he's left yet but it looks like he is, is going to Nice it looks like they're is. in their last year so I mean, they're going to lose yeah. a lot of players for nothing it's yeah. they, they, could this be this be the downfall now could we be seeing the start of Leicester City maybe struggling a little bit uh, maybe but it's uh, no disrespect to Leicester it's Leicester they were never going to be a permanent fixture up there it was get up there, enjoy your time, and then slowly but surely go back to where you are. Go and talk to Bournemouth, uh, or not Bournemouth, well, I suppose Bournemouth. Go and talk to Derby, and go and talk to Norwich, go and talk to Westmont. We all enjoyed our little stint in Boltons and Middlesbrough and Tenefit. Like Leicester, unfortunately, are, 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 are starting to get to that point now where you can't maintain the pace with the big boys because you don't have that heritage. Like Liverpool were able to get back up there because of what they did 13, 14, 50 years ago and the international fan base they have. While Leicester can't, they can't afford that. So unless they have billionaire people, and then of course with the financial fair play, it's even harder and harder. So unfortunately, they're kind of going to be, by the looks of it, by looking at other clubs, they're on the downward spiral now and will probably have to resurrect themselves and come back again in a few years' time. Um, and that's just an inevitability and it's just their turn now to step out and somebody else steps in, potentially like your new customer, however. So unfortunately, the bubble could be burst for Leicester and yeah, how long they stay in the league is a different story. They'll be there for several years to come. But who's to say in three or four years' time that they unfortunately might be battling um, relegation and slip away, top the league, top the villa. It's it's a cruel, cruel uh, sport uh, at, at this level in the Premier League. And, and I'd be a bit fearful now is this the end of their cycle and they have to go and try and do it all again. Yeah, I think if they can be 
suppose responsible is what they're trying to do if they can be responsible but clever as well and keep themselves stable yeah. for a couple of years then they could come out the other side and, and, and maybe reclaim those that bit of optimism again but even if they went down Dave they have a really really good fan base a very very loyal fan base and a, yeah. and a, and a great togetherness so I wouldn't see it in yeah. the end. Not like something like Sunderland where the, the, the fans jump no, ship. they won't disappear. No. I mean, the Sunderland fans are supposed to be really, really loyal, but they had half half stadiums coming to the end of the Premier League, then half stadiums when they were in the Championship and obviously they, they went back down, but they're, they're on their way back up. So I, I can see Leicester uh, having that opportunity even if they went down. So, um, yeah. They're, they're, good, um, they're good at bringing in talent right as well. So it might be just a case of, right, let's let's put the talent pool out there and try and bring in the next Fafanas and a few of these other guys that they pulled out of the hat over the last years. And unfortunately, the guys who did make start, cash in on them now and try and get the next generation in, stay in the Premier League and, and have another run in, a, in a, another couple of years. Yeah, Brendan Rodgers definitely has a job on his hand. Neil, one of those clubs that did make that kind of trip down the leagues was Nottingham Forest and Jesse Lingard has decided that Forest is the club for him. Do you see it as a good move for him and for Notts Forest? Um, I, I don't know how to judge Lingard because he gets a lot of slack over the old TikTok scenario and uh, my young lad was showing a couple of his couple of his dancing videos there to me there the other day and I thought, he's, you know, this is his thing. Look, he, he's a bit of a clown to us. But at the end of the day, the interesting part for me was that I think he didn't he turned down West Ham and he's gone to Forest right so he had this kind of stint at, at West Ham it kind of revitalised his career I always thought he was going nowhere he was a kind of a bit part player for United he was never going to be you know a stalwart someone that's going to drive them on um, I'm hoping that this is something in a, in a World Cup year that gives him a little bit of bite that you know he's gone there for the right reasons and um, Regardless of all the lifestyle stuff and the TikTok and dance and all that crap, at the end of the day, he's a footballer. I hope, in other words, what I'm saying is he doesn't turn out to be another Delhi Alley where he's a lost cause and we're sitting here in a year going, well, that was an absolute waste of time. Because Forrest are investing heavily here in him. Like, he's high profile for them. They're coming up. They're looking for a guy that can bring them experience. You know, someone that can give them a little bit of an X factor. So part of me wouldn't begrudge him doing well and Forrest doing well out of him. But I, ju- oh, I don't know. I get that feeling they could end up with egg in their face and it just mightn't be the sign that they think it's going to be. But someone has faith in them. They've brought them in. So I'll give them a free pass till I see him for a couple of weeks and then hopefully see more of them on the pitch than I do on social media. And then look, fair play to him. If he can go and have a crack at getting into the England squad, then so be it. But it feels it's probably the right move and they had to move on. Whether that was the profile of club he should have moved to, I guess the, the time will tell us that soon. Dave, they have Dean Henderson in, they have Nico Williams in, Jesse Lingard in. I think they have two, four, six, about 13 or 14 players who have been brought in. All probably some of the best players who played in the Championship last year were a sprinkle of Bundesliga. It's been tried before like that. It hasn't always worked out just with those players that have come in, do you think Forrest have a chance this year? Is there anyone else who you can kind of see, well, they might might jump those three? Yeah, they have a chance, like, but they're always a bit fearful when a team comes up that buys so many players and kind of almost forget who brought them up because obviously Lingard's going to start, Henson's going to start, Nico Williams is going to start. Even that, I hate trying to pronounce his name, but he's ex-Liverpool, he came from Union Berlin. 
tell you, oh, oh when you, you don't play that money. Like just five or six of them are probably going to come in straight away. And it's like, yeah, thanks for what you did last year. What was his name again? You know, Tywo Owen. Oh, shut up. Owen Ewey. Owen, Owen, Owen Owen I don't know. Apologies, Tywo. I'm really sorry, but I hope I... I really hope he doesn't score too many goals this year because I'm, I'm going to have to listen to the commentators quite quite uh, intently to see how how it's pronounced. But um, yeah, just a, I'd be just a little bit sceptical when you see that many coming in and some of the money that they paid, like they're all double figures, they're all near 20 million. Like I don't think you spend that money and even the wages that Lingard's getting. Look, I'll keep it short and sweet, Neil. He's my new player this year. I think it's laughable that you mention the World Cup because you don't go to Nottingham Forest if you want to make the World Cup squad in November. You go to West Ham. He used West Ham two years ago. He was never going to produce that form again with West Ham. He went there again. I wanted him to go there because I knew he wouldn't do it. Listen, once you said TikTok, mate, that's it. It's game over. <laughs> you know, it is, in my opinion. The guy is an awful uh, uh, advertisement of a premiership footballer. Unfortunately, he's one of many and the sooner the better these guys disappear, the better. But Dave, Stuart Pearce was on the radio the other day and he was discussing them and he said, listen, I don't care if he's on TikTok or not. I said, he'd rather he wasn't he was he wasn't down the pub and he was in dancing in, in his house, you know, sure. rather than going out and, and getting locked, I suppose. If, but if he, he, he also said that as long as he goes out and he does the work and he says he he didn't see a harder worker on the training ground than Jesse Lingard and he did his own work and all that. So he didn't agree with all the dancing and stuff like that, but he doesn't really care as long yeah. as they do it on the pitch. So it'll be the same for Nats Forest, won't it? Yeah, of course. But if I was interviewing him, I would have said, what's your opinion of Paul Dogba? Just because he's French, because it lingers English, so he's going to get a bit more of a leeway. But I'm sure he'd have an opinion on Pogba that's completely different. So, in my opinion, and this is a, a very uh, clever word, I couldn't care less. I don't expect anything different from him. And if he turns it on, it would look brilliant. But I don't think it will last for long. And it will be for a reason. He's 28-29 now. He hasn't done it consistently enough. What's the, what's the difference now? That's my opinion of it. Deli Ali and all these, he's in that bracket and I can't see him turn around at 29 years of age. Yeah, okay. And he he had a real opportunity to go somewhere after the West Ham uh, good fortune, Correct. you know, and he decided to see it out to get a payday, which didn't really look good for him. And now, he's got, he's got uh, his payday now. Yeah. No, definitely his payday. And in fairness, being a big fish there, you never know. It might it might massage the ego and he might turn it on and try and show the upstairs how it's done. You never know. But I would be very, I'd be shocked, boys. I'd be shocked if we're really talking about him in, in, in positive tones by the end of the season. Okay. Right, we're going to leave it there because we could talk all day and all night about every team that's in the Premier League. We will be back next week after the first round of games in the Premier League and really looking forward to see who shines and who doesn't. And we'll be looking out for Jesse Lingard, Ward Prowse and Antonio to see <laughs> how they get on. Dave is building up a no, list of players. <laughs> uh, Dave and Neil thanks very much and to you for listening we'll talk to you next week